we continue in our worship this morning, we come to our scripture reading. And it's from the book of Hebrews, because we've been working through chapter 11 in Hebrews, that chapter about heroes of the faith. And today, uh, three verses about three different Old Testament characters. Hebrews 11, verse 20. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Father, as we read that, we pray that you would guide us in our thinking this morning. As we think about these three men that maybe we don't know that much about, and as we think of these three incidents in their life that we know probably even less about, Father, we pray that you would help us to understand what you would be saying to us through that. Father, we pray that we would get to know you deeper, that our life with you would be made richer and more full, that we may be a blessing to your world. And so, Father, we pray that you would guide us in our thinking this morning as we think about these three men, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage talked about Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Joseph, the son of Jacob, Jacob, the son of Isaac, Isaac, the son of Abraham. And so I just called the series of this sermon, My Three Sons. It's just a little riff back to my childhood and some of the TV shows I used to watch. And maybe you catch that illusion and maybe you don't. But it has nothing to do with the sermon. The sermon is all about, I think, this idea of what happens towards the end of our life. So sometimes when we think of life, we think of ourselves in our prime. We think of what we're going to become or what we are or what we were. And if we think about the end of life at all, it's more about um, how am I going to retire? Uh, how am I going to die? You know, is, it, is life going to end quickly? Is it going to end slowly? Is it going to end painfully? How is it going to be? And I think the, the Bible doesn't really give us a lot about that. But what it does talk about is the importance of finishing strong of finishing well. And if you have been kind of part of the media this week, uh, you probably saw about Jerry Falwell Jr., who's resigned from Liberty University over some stuff. And John Ortberg, who's one of my favorite authors, has resigned as pastor of Menlo Park in uh, California there. And Robert Clinton, who has a number of books out about living life well, has done a lot of study on history and in biblical characters, and his comment is that very few finish well. And whether it's characters in the Bible or people that are in the media today, we know that finishing well is a challenge. Tyler preached a couple of weeks ago on Noah and talked about how he got drunk and cursed his kids. Tyler... Noah, not Tyler. Um, but, but Moses sinned, didn't make it into the promised land, died on the edge of it. David commits adultery. Then he kills uh, Bathsheba's husband to cover up the sin. And, and his family just becomes completely dysfunctional. And then his son Solomon um, 
just gets obsessed with money and women, and they lead him away from God. And at the end of his life, when his son is just starting to take over as king, the country splits into two halves. And Israel and Judah go their separate ways. And the question comes, how do we finish? Last week, we looked at Abraham. Um, if chapter 11 of Hebrews is the Old Testament Hall of Fame, uh, Abraham's got to be in the center of it somewhere. He's the great man of faith of the Old Testament. He has an immense story as we looked at. But then he has these three sons. Well, technically a son, a grandson, and a great-grandson. And in that passage, it says, By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on his sons. By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed his sons. And by faith Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites. Now, just two quick thoughts on that. One is, um, in those three verses, the writer of Hebrews has managed to sum up 30 chapters of Genesis. Isaac was born in chapter 21. Joseph dies in chapter 50. He has covered all that ground in three verses, which is pretty good. But secondly, he's picked three men who maybe in comparison with the Abraham and David and a few other people, I'm not sure if they're the key part of the Hall of Fame for me. And if they are, it wouldn't be these stories that I would use to justify why I voted them in. And this morning, we're going to try and figure that out, because I've spent a big part of this week just trying to figure out what is it the writer of Hebrews was doing in these three verses. And uh, probably the best way to start is just by reminding ourselves of who these three men were. So just a quick look at their lives. So the first one was Isaac. Isaac, you remember, was the son of Abraham. And Abraham and Sarah were promised a son. And God had promised him that he would have this child, and yet nothing comes. And a decade and more goes past, and then finally Isaac is born. And as soon as Isaac kind of hits 12 or whatever, God says to Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice Isaac. Uh, go and kill him. <laughs> And Abraham, you know, I mean, we're probably all tempted with teenagers to do that once in a while. But, but Abraham takes the son of promise, and he goes up the mountain at the last minute. God substitutes a ram, and, and you can read that story in Genesis. When uh, Isaac grows up, Abraham wants him to have a, a wife that isn't from the godless Canaanites around them, but, but it comes from the old country. So he sends a servant back, and there's a whole story around that. But he comes back with Rebekah. And Isaac and Rebekah get married. And Rebekah's childless, so Isaac prays for her. And she gives birth to twins, Esau and Jacob. And uh, Isaac loved Esau and wants to bless him. So he sends him on this hunting trip, and while he's away, Rebecca manipulates everything so that the younger son, whom she loves, whose name is Jacob, gets the blessing instead. Well, I don't know if you noticed in that, but that summary of Isaac's life, he doesn't do much. He's a pretty pale shadow of his father. He's... Uh, 
his birth was all about Abraham and Sarah. The sacrifice was all about Abraham. He had to have a servant find him a wife. Uh, the blessing was manipulated by his wife and his son Jacob. And I think maybe they didn't have him in mind, but it's not a bad summary if you go back to that old Beatles song, Nowhere Man. He's a real nowhere man living in a nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Doesn't have a point of view, knows not where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? Anyway, that, that's Isaac. He's this completely passive person, so why put him in the Hall of Fame? Jacob, his son, is completely the opposite. Um, if Abraham was the man of faith and Isaac was the man of passivity, Jacob is now the person of manipulation and trickster. He tricks his father into giving him the blessing he doesn't deserve. And then he runs away to save his own life and he goes back to his mother's people. And he ends up marrying a cousin. Well, actually ends up marrying two cousins because his father-in-law is, is an even greater manipulator than he is. And the two of these guys swap cons on each other for a bunch of years. And reading the story of Jacob makes great reading, but you're really, you're really glad you're not related to the guy, and you're really glad you don't have to deal with him. And you realize that most of the time he's working a con because he doesn't trust God to work it out. And so now you've got the second guy in the Hall of Faith fame that you're not sure really belongs there. It's a questionable choice, not a first ballot move. And then the third person in that story is Joseph. Joseph is different again. Jacob had 12 sons, if you remember. He had two wives and two concubines who were like sort of wives. And the, the four of those women had 12 sons between them, and they become the 12 tribes of Israel. And that family is as dysfunctional as you would think as a manipulator like Jacob would have. In fact, the 12 sons uh, decide among themselves that they won't kill one of their brothers, but they will sell him into slavery in Egypt. Um, again, sure, every sibling has thought of selling their brother or sister, into slavery, but they actually do it. And Joseph ends up going down into Egypt. He ends up in jail. He ends up having a vision, which gets him miraculously released, and he predicts a future famine and a way of dealing with it. And out of that all, he becomes prime minister, second in command of all of Egypt. In this famine, he reconnects with his brothers and his father and his family, and he saves them from dying of the famine. And I would say of all the three of those, he would get my vote for being put in the Hall of Fame. And if that's a thumbnail of the three sons, that there's nothing in common about their personalities. There's nothing really in common about their lives. Why are they selected? And why are they put together? And if their picture is in the Hall of Fame, what does the citation underneath it say? 
Well, what Hebrews does in that passage that we read is it finds something at the very end of each of their lives. It shows how they finish. And it maybe suggests to us that how you finish is more important than how you lived your life. That if you lived your life with some challenges in it, but you understood God to be at work in your life, that you can finish strong even if you've had a challenging beginning. And it's the way they finish that gets them included in this Hall of Fame chapter. And all three men, all in their old age, all starting to fade away, exhibit faith. So let's just look at them again, now this time looking at what Hebrews says about them. It says about Isaac, By faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And it makes you wonder, what is it in this uh, story that is such an exemplary of faith? As I summarize that story for you, Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau, very, very different people. Jacob was the, uh, Isaac, sorry, uh, Esau was the introverted, he loved hunting, he was the outdoor guy, he was hunting, fishing, camping guy. And, and Isaac really loved him. Jacob was the extrovert, trickster, manipulator, jokester, charm the snake off, skin off a snake maybe, and, and, and Rebecca really loved him. Now, when Isaac was getting old, he would give his blessing to his eldest son, and his eldest son would get twice of what the other son would get, because he was the one that would carry on the family farm. He's the one that would look after his mother and any unmarried sisters that were still around and unmarried brothers who were still at home. So the eldest was the one who took on responsibility for the family name and the family heritage. The younger son or sons would get less because they had less responsibility. And so Isaac gets to that point where he says, I need to do my blessing on Esau. And he says to Esau, why don't you go on a hunting trip real quick, get some really good game, bring it back and prepare it, and I will give you my blessing. Uh, while he's away hunting, Rebekah gets Jacob and dresses him up like Esau and makes a special meal, and he tricks an old, blind, deaf Isaac into giving him the blessing because Isaac thought Jacob was Esau. Now that's the story that the book of Hebrews says, this shows faith. I don't know. To me, it shows manipulation. To me, it shows an old man who doesn't know the difference. And I think what Hebrews is picking up on is not that. It's picking up on what comes after that. Because after that, Esau comes back and finds out that Jacob has stolen his blessing. And he comes to, e to Isaac and he says, you got tricked, now you need to pull back that blessing you gave and give it to me. And somehow Isaac senses that God has said that was the way it was supposed to be. And Isaac, in all his passivity, who usually goes along with whoever's the strongest person in the room, which at this point is Esau, says, no, this is the way God wants it to be. 
And in faith he believes that though the older is always the one that gets the blessing, in this case he did the right thing, though he did it for the wrong, misunderstood reasons. But the right thing happened. And he has faith to believe that it's through Jacob that God's promise will continue. He has faith to believe that God was at work. Well, the story of Jacob continues that. Hebrews says of Jacob, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And Jacob, as we've seen, manipulates. So he gets this blessing. Esau is so mad, he says, I'm just going to clean my hunting rifle, and then I'm going to go get Jacob. And Esau decides being an only child is a good thing. And Jacob runs for the hills. Well, literally, he runs back to where his mom came from, back to the old country. And all this manipulation happens. There's this wonderful story where he wrestles with God, which is maybe what I would have used to justify him being in the Hall of Fame. But at the end of his life, it's where the book of Hebrews picks it up. They're, they've gone down into Egypt because the famine has driven them down there. And he has all his family together. All 12 sons are living in the same neighborhood. And at the end of his life, he blesses them. And again, there's a story of older and younger. Um, Judah is the fourth son, but he gets the eldest son's blessing because the first three have all disqualified themselves by the way they lived. And out of Judah will come the king of Israel, will come David, and will come Jesus. But when it comes to Joseph, Jacob hears God say to bless his two sons in place of him. So God wanted 12 to be the number of tribes. And God was going to take the Levites, the, the sons of Levi, to be priests. So they weren't going to be counted as a full tribe. They were going to be specially set aside for God. So there was only 11 tribes left. So God says, I'll take the two sons of Joseph and I will promote them with their uncles to be the 12 tribes of Israel. And so I, Jacob, at the end of his life, is doing a prayer of blessing over Joseph's two children. And it's Manasseh and Ephraim. And he puts his right hand on the eldest one. And then he puts his right hand on the youngest one. And puts his left hand on the eldest one. And the blessing is on the right hand side. And, and Joseph sees that. And he tries to uncross his father's hands. And says, no, no, this is the eldest one. And Jacob says, no, no, God says... To bless the younger one especially. And Joseph tries to correct him. But Jacob knows. That that's God's will. And he keeps his hands the way they are. And he hears God speak. Throughout his life he's been this manipulator. That always tried to correct God. Now in his old age, it says he blessed the children of Joseph in the correct way. And he leaned on his staff and worshipped. In other words, he trusted God. He had faith to believe that he didn't have to control everything the way he had all his life. He had faith 
by the end. And then Joseph, Jacob's son. By faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. When Joseph was about to die, they'd been in Egypt for who knows how long, 50, 60 years. And he said to them, I believe that God is going to take us out of Egypt and back to that land that he promised to Abraham. And he said, when you go, I want you to take my bones. I want to be buried there. I don't want to see Egypt as home. I see the promised land that God promised to Abraham as our true home. And so when he dies, he's second in command of, of Egypt, so he gets this big royal month-long funeral. He gets a special embalming that only goes to powerful people, but he doesn't get a tomb in Egypt. He's not staying there. They have his body sort of ready to go whenever they leave, and it'll be a few hundred years before they go. But when they go, they will take him. And they will put him in that little piece of land that Abraham actually owned out of that whole promised land. We said last week that, that God promised in the land, but all Abraham ever saw was a field that he bought, where he buried Sarah, where he was buried, where Isaac and Rebekah were buried, and where Jacob and Leah were buried. And Genesis puts it this way. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land, to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him. And he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And what's missing from that verse is, and he was not given a royal tomb. But Joseph is so sure that God is going to fulfill his promise to Abraham that one day they will leave Egypt and head up to Canaan again. It says, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph actually predicts, in a sense, Moses and the Exodus. And he tells them to keep his bones handy so that when that day comes, he'll go with them. So, three men. Three different personalities, three different stories. But three similar endings that at the end of their lives, they all finish strong. And the book of Hebrews puts so much emphasis on that, that how we live our life right to the end is what counts. Now, they didn't let me write the Bible, which is probably a helpful thing. But if I had, and if I'd got to write in this part of Hebrews, I don't know, honestly, that I'd have chosen at least a couple of those guys. I have no problem with Joseph, but Jacob and Isaac. To me, they're marginal heroes of faith, but, but they are. 
But a guy that isn't in there that I would put in there is a guy by the name of Caleb. Caleb was a contemporary of Joshua. When Moses led the people out of, the prom, out of Egypt into the promised land, they, the first year after they had gone through Mount Sinai, they got to the edge of the promised land. And, and Moses selected 12 men, one from each tribe. And he said, I want you to go and explore the land, find out what it's like, find out where the weaknesses are and the strengths are, and then come back and make a report. So two of the guys were Joshua and Caleb. And ten other men, and they all go and they explore the land, and they all come back with the same story. It's a wonderful land. They come back with some of the fruit. They come back with stories. And they say, it's a wonderful land. And then ten of them say, but there's giants in the land. It's heavily fortified. We could never take it. Joshua and Caleb say, no, no, no. God has promised us the land. We can do it. There will be challenge, but God will be with us. And Joshua and Caleb keep faith, but are outvoted 10 to 2. And the people of Israel turn back. And as you remember that story, they spend 40 years wandering in the desert. One year for every day those spies were spying out the land. Until 40 years later, they go in and they conquer the land. And God remembers this at the end of Caleb's life. So the question comes this morning, how are we going to finish life? And if you were to ask me, Dale, you're planning to retire soon. How are you going to finish life? Well, I don't know. We're still trying to figure out this retirement thing. I honestly can't tell you. I think I know that my full-time ministry career is over, but I know God has plans for me to make a difference still. I believe that God still wants to use Don and I. And what I want to do is finish strong. What I want to do is finish well. And I want to see, live out what these three men of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph lived out. That at the end of their lives, they were full of faith and trusting God that they were finishing strong. And I see it maybe even more clearly in this life of Caleb. So Caleb, at age 40, gets to go and explore the land. He spends 40 years in the wilderness because even though he voted in favor of taking the land, he still got caught up in that time of wandering in the desert. In five years, they have conquered some of the land when Joshua leads them across and they take Jericho and all the thing. And God promised Caleb a reward for his faithfulness way back. And 45 years after his spying time, when he is now in the promised land, he comes and he talks to Joshua, who's starting to distribute the land out. And he comes to claim his, his reward. And in Joshua 14, let me read you the story. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal. And Caleb came and said, 
You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, in Kadesh Barnea concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot is trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children, because you have wholly followed the Lord. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now I am this day 85 years old, and I'm still as strong today as I was in that day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then, for war and for coming and going. So now give me the hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Lord spoke, how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. So Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. It's an amazing story of finishing strong. Amazing story of a man at 85 who said, My strength is still as my strength was then. Give me the land, I'll drive the people out. I believed it then, I believe it now. And Joshua gives him Hebron. And I just wonder this morning as we draw to a close, are you wholly following God today? Three times in that passage, it talks about Caleb wholly following God. So the people who were with me made the hearts of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And then God promises in this land, because you have wholly followed the Lord. And then at the very end of it, Hebron became his inheritance because he wholly followed the Lord. And the question comes, are we wholly following the Lord today? To finish strong means to stay on course through our lives. You know, one degree of variance at the start of something can make a huge difference. If you took off in a plane headed for London and you were one degree off, you could well end up on a wholly different continent. When we live our lives, sometimes the little things don't seem to matter. But at the end of our life, those little things can draw us far away. You know, Solomon had a few hundred too many wives, but I bet he married them one at a time. It was just one more, and then one more, and then one more. It's the way sin happens in our lives. First of all, it's little, and then it gets bigger. Ask anyone whose life is cratered in some way, how did that happen? And they say, I have no idea. It was just one little thing at a time. Our lack of obedience to God's prompting sometimes seems so insignificant, but over a lifetime, they can take us away from finishing strong. They can take us away from God's blessing because we lack God's obedience. And I just wonder this week that's coming up, what's one place where you can refocus on God? 
Maybe it's your devotional life. In all this COVID-19, your time with God has, has lapsed. You, you're not reading. You're not praying. You're not spending time. Maybe it's you're not spending Sundays with God. The challenge of COVID-19 is Sunday has become like every other day. We no longer go to church. We can watch church whenever we feel it's convenient. But do we have that day that is the Lord's day that's special for God? Are we using our gifts to serve? We, we, we can't serve through the church, but are we making a difference in the world through our giftedness that God has given us? Is there a place where you're starting to stray from God's commands and it could get further and further? You know, the story of Caleb, I think, is so special for a whole lot of reasons. One, I have a grandson named Caleb, and that's very special. But secondly, he is a guy that wholly followed the Lord all his life. He was a guy that finished well. And God rewarded him by giving him that town of Hebron. And Hebron to you may just be the name of a city in Israel or may mean nothing at all. But if you look in the Old Testament, Hebron is significant for something that's very important. The town of Hebron was where Abraham bought that field. And in that field was a cave. And in that cave was buried Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah. Jacob and Leah. It's where they brought Joseph's bones back when they came back into the promised land. Where Joseph too was buried. And in a very fitting way, Caleb inherits that land. He has to clear it out of the people that lived there. And when he dies, he's buried with those heroes of the faith. And I find it so fitting because to me, his life is a great example of what those men were credited with, that they finished strong right to the end. Father, this morning we hear these stories. And Father, maybe we relate to some of these men. Maybe like Isaac, we feel that we've just been passive parts of your work in our life. That we've taken little initiative in our journey with you. Or, or maybe like Jacob, we feel like we've been always trying to be in control, trying to manipulate what you're doing. Or maybe like Joseph, you've just been at work through adversity, through challenge, through good times. But somehow, Father, you've been at work in our lives. Father, maybe like Caleb, we've just walked faithfully with you. In the quiet, in the shadows perhaps, but just been faithful for you. Father, whatever our life story, I just pray that you help us to finish well. Help us, Lord, not to end life in passivity, just giving up on you. Help us, Lord, not to end life manipulative, 
always trying to be in control of the situation. Father, like Joseph, we pray that you would help us to be those who in the midst of adversity still see you. And Father, I pray that we would live the life of Caleb, who through faith saw you in everything. And so, Father, this week we pray, help us to finish well. For those of us that are getting towards the close of our lives, Father, help us to keep our focus, to be strong. For those who are younger and see the end of life as being a way far away, may we see how the trajectory of our life will take us. And may we draw back to you. And Father God, we thank you for this hall of fame that includes so many characters, some of whom we're not sure really deserve to be there. But Father, we thank you that you're at work in each one of us. And we don't have to be the great men of faith like Abraham for you to use us to make a difference in your world. So Father, encourage us this week. Walk with us as we seek to finish well for you. In Jesus' name, amen.